Welcome back to How I Deal, where we discuss past closed one and lost deals, how they ended up that way, and provide some real tips for account executives and other full cycle sellers to use in their deals today. My name is Taylor Dollum, full cycle AE, turn content guy, and as always, joined by my superhero partner in crime, Junior. Uh, How is it going, man? Really solid. It's episode nine. Since passing the death date of all podcasts, I'm like wondering if this is just my life now. Like, am I going to be 60 running this How I Deal podcast? It's probably too early to think about that, honestly, but that's what I got for you today. Love to have our our ninth episode here. A quick refresher. Each conversation, we want to chat through a past deal, but keep all names, places, fictionalized, anonymized, because that'll help us dive deeper. So today we've got uh, a good friend of mine, Nolan Hansen. He's an account executive formerly at uh, Workfront, now Adobe due to uh, acquisition. I feel like talking about like an acquisition like that could be a podcast by itself, especially in selling like, hey, now I'm selling two things at once, but we're going to try to you know do a really good job to tie those things together. Nolan, thanks for joining. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here as well. Awesome. Nolan, give us some insight into your role and what problems Workfront and Adobe solves. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Adobe is obviously a super large organization. They have over 40 products that they sell and offer to customers. Specifically, my area of focus is in the work management space. Uh, along with digital review and approval of assets and really the end-to-end life cycle of work. So as an organization, what we do is with our platform, we offer our customers an operational system of record or really a single source of truth for their work. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that rundown. Nolan, let's just, uh, let's dive right in. What deal are you walking us through today? Yeah, so the deal that I wanted to share today is a well-known to global media company along with its streaming service. Uh, This organization has nearly 100,000 employees. They're, like I said, well-known throughout the media and entertainment industry. And this opportunity started out smaller and ended up growing to hundreds and hundreds of users, the contract being just shy of half a million dollars. So it was an exciting one from start to finish. Massive deal. We've had a run of enterprise deals over the past couple episodes. But this one by far, I think, has the most twists and turns, and we're excited to dive in. So reps learn about a company, maybe through a target account list or from you know a CRM on LinkedIn, word of mouth even. How did you in particular find out about this company? And maybe what was the extent of the research that you did uh, to learn more about them? Yeah, this account was on my target list. It was, this was kind of starting out in 2019, by the way. Uh, so it was pretty previously a closed loss opportunity from 2017, meaning they had evaluated our system, you know, two years prior. So my DSR, my digital sales representative, uh, my counterpart, and I saw that this was on the list, that they had a closed loss opportunity, and that many, if not all of their competitors were already customers of ours. So that was something that we really wanted to kind of dive into because we already played well with a lot of their competitors. I think that's a huge aspect is the fact that 
you know, in this space, obviously all the companies are really well known. This is the last of the, you know, the big fish that is not with you. So it would be really easy to just, and we've said this in the past, like don't sleep on inbound, but not sleeping on reputation and just like, Hey, we're Adobe, we're going to win this deal, but really allowing you know, the sales process to take place is something that I think people will recognize just like, don't sleep on your reputation. Don't sleep on who you are because this was previously closed loss. Meaning, you know, that in, in the past you've lost this deal before. So now you got to find a way to get in front of this prospect, which sometimes is easy. Sometimes it's not give us some details in that experience. Definitely want to give full credit to uh, my DSR. As mentioned, we worked together, uh, seeing that this account was one that we wanted to get into that we wanted to target. Uh, we put together some targeted messaging uh, specifically to the director level. That seems to be a good fit for the, the type of, uh, I guess, sales cycle that we run. And so we sent out targeted messaging to anywhere between 15 to 20 different directors, uh, ranging from director of art, director of media, um, director of technology to marketing director. And uh, looking back on it, you know, eventually one of those people who originally had received several messages in a cadence went on our website, submitted a request for a trial. And that's kind of how we were able to engage with them head on. So we're talking about cadencing 15 people from one company. right? Like this is not, you know, typically it's like, oh, there's maybe one or two decision makers. No, like you're going out and you're essentially like recruiting a whole army here. Um, Were there any hesitations that like one director might be like, hey, no, thanks. We are to use X because you're still reaching out to others. So, you know, what's the play there if one does respond and they're just like pass, but another responds and says yes. And now you've got like conflicting people I don't know. Talk us through, like, is there a fear in doing that? Yeah, I think there's definitely pros and cons to that, as well as the fear that, you know, one of them is going to shut it down. Uh, But I think that's also the benefit of multi-threading and not just kind of putting all your eggs in one basket with one director, right? Because you could get very, very specific with one person, but um, by kind of spreading that out a little bit, I think that's where you you know, you use numbers to your advantage. I know we wanted to refrain from just, you know, the typical uh, spray and and pray method, right? So we weren't messaging, you know, thousands of their employees. That's not what we wanted to do. It was specifically messaging targeted for director level. And that's kind of why we reached out to those directors across the board. I think that's probably the big difference there is you've got 15 that you've selected and it is targeted messaging as compared to spraying out, like you mentioned, to the 15, just like something canned that now they all can say no to, that'd be pretty rough. Uh, And I thought I knew all the terms out there, but DSR, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that's like the equivalent of an SDR or a BDR. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, exactly. I think at the time they were even called ADMs. We've we've changed multiple (laughs) times. We've gone from SDR, BDR, ADM, DSR. So probably another acronym coming up soon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, account development manager, ADM, right? So we'll try to <laughs> catch all of those as they come. Nolan, a lot of moving pieces here. Like you all were talking about, 15 or so decision makers or at least people that are involved in this deal uh, that you've looped in and you've specifically spoke to whatever pain, whatever goal, uh, whatever thing that the buying trigger that gets them to move. Once that happens, prospecting-wise, the next step is usually that initial conversation And in my opinion, and and probably most would agree, the most important piece 
of this entire sales cycle, which is the discovery. And in this case, it sounds like it has a ton of potential to be a mess, uh, just in the sense of how many people are involved. What did that look like, those initial conversations? How'd you keep it all organized and straight for your side of the, the table? And what did you learn? So we started out with the one director. And the funny thing with you know our system is it tends to be contagious. So different teams, when they see other people either trialing out the software or you know having demos, those types of conversations, they want to be involved as well. And so before we even got to any sort of demo, every phase really grew from looking at, you know, one or two teams to multiple teams. And we ended up doing over 10 discovery sessions. Some of them were follow-ups and some of them were unique teams because there were so many groups involved. I would say the advantage that we had throughout the process was focusing on them. You know, I've learned and I've done it in the past and made the mistakes during discovery where it really becomes an interrogation and that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to make the discovery really about them and how we could uncover challenges that they didn't even know that they had, as well as look for ways to gain efficiencies throughout their process. And so by the end of the, you know, 10 plus discovery sessions that we had with them, they really viewed us as their partners, as their business advisors and taking that consultative approach really helped us gain that advantage. Talk to us also about like the RFP at this point, because so a director that you had previously reached out to came inbound after going inbound, you reach out to them, you schedule meetings. And then as you mentioned, contagious, right? So this thing really starts to grow. And ultimately very early on, this deal grew from just 50 to 400 users, right? So obviously there's a lot of things that are contagious about Workfront, about Adobe, what you're doing over there. But the director introduces the thing, but then it turns into an RFP situation, which can be quite the task because usually an RFP, which is request for proposal, usually means we're reaching out to you and everyone that you play ball with, right? So talk talk us through that RFP situation. So the, the RFP definitely adds time. I don't think I've ever worked a single deal where an RFP has streamlined a sales cycle. It, again, does quite the opposite and always adds time. And so they let us know initially as we were going through discovery calls and discovery sessions with them that per their policy, they would have to issue an RFP, uh, where I think we, again, had the advantage was because we took that consultative approach, because they viewed us as the experts, and we, again, name dropped their, you know, really all of their competitors who also use us and how they had success in different scenarios, we helped write their RFP. Uh, So our, our our internal RFP team helped create questions that were geared really towards our software and what what you know what we offer. And while it still you know was a process, we still had to go through the RFP. We still had to answer the questions. Many of the questions were questions that we had submitted for them to include in their RFP. Um, so in the end, we ended up obviously winning that RFP as well. I think that's huge. Like at this point. You have become advisors, you become more more than friends, right? Like you're in on this like mutual goal to find them the best solution and being able to influence 
what the RFP looks like and the things they need to be concerned about is huge. So I'm trying to think, okay, I'm in SaaS. Maybe I'm not selling a you know half a million dollar contract. Maybe nobody really does RFPs, but here's what will happen in almost everybody's deal. You'll approach someone, they'll have interest, they'll take a discovery meeting with you, and then they're going to go and do research and they're going to look up all your competitors. And likely they will book meetings with people that you play ball against, right? So what you can do in your discovery is take a similar approach where if you know after this conversation, right, they've got to go look at your competitors, position certain things so that when they do go look at competitors, it's not that you are lying. It's not that you're trying to like pull the rug from underneath them, but you're helping them take a different approach to which speaks better to you, honestly, right? That's like the salesmanship, the tact of the actual sell. Um, so there's your comparison. You might not be getting RFPs, but if you are introducing a conversation, I can guarantee you they're doing research and reaching out to other people. So post-discovery, it's demo time. You got to show the product, walking through different workflows, anything unique through this demo experience. So because there were so many groups involved, we offered to do an on-site demo. We like to call them working sessions as well. So not just a demo of here's the product, but actually work with them. So I think it's what we had them titled as on-site working sessions. And it ended up being a three-day on-site with them at their headquarters, um, full day, like eight to five working sessions. It provided a ton of value, not only for us, but for them as well. Uh, during these working sessions and demos, they were uncovering more problems that they didn't even know that they had. We were understanding their business even more than what we thought we knew. And that seemed to be something that happened each time we met with a new team or a different group is we were understanding them more and more, which I think, again, goes back to taking that consultative approach and really becoming their business advisor. And so, you know, in those working sessions, they, they asked for the recordings, they asked for the recordings of all of the demos, uh, really because they wanted to take that back to their own strategy team and look at their internal processes as they had uncovered different challenges and different areas where they realized they could improve on as well. Okay, I've got two follow-up questions to this because I think this is really important to understand. Um, one is, did your competitors do this as well? They did not because we had already, we had already, won, and maybe they offered, I'm not sure. But by the time we did the on-site um, working sessions and demos, we had already won the RFP. So they were only having us come on site at that point. They weren't, they weren't even considering anyone else, which also is in a really good position to be in, right? Yes. Okay. So this could be as you're working with the champion, they could say, Hey, we're leaning towards working with you. This is when like you as a salesperson really step in and try to like take over the conversation and make it a, we're leaning you and the only, you know, decision and option is you. So to make a different demo experience, maybe you can't do three days on site, but you've got to do something different than your competitors, what your competitors are going to do. So my other follow-up question, how do you get a customer to commit to three days of on-site? Yeah, looking back on this, I, I want to say it was them that actually requested that much time because typically we don't do that. You know, we'll We'll do, you know, maybe a full day of three demos or something like that if it's it's a larger deal. But usually we don't do several days in a row like that. So this was a little unique. Again, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say that they were the ones that had requested that on site and and it worked to to our advantage as well as theirs. And 
Back to your point, Junior, you know, for those that maybe aren't doing even on-site demos or visits with their customers, I think there's something to be said about educating your customers, your prospects, right? Whatever, whether it's a small sales cycle or a large sales cycle, you can still educate your your prospects and really help them understand, you know, from your point of view, as well as, you know, you're the expert in your field, right? So each of you who are listening, you know, your product, you know it well, you know how it's going to benefit them. So I think educating them is really a big part of that and super important. Talk about the magic of what happens when you go on site. Going on site is, it's one of my favorite parts of of this role. And and I'm glad that we have the flexibility to go on site with customers as well as prospects, but meeting them in person really creates that relationship. It really creates that partnership. I remember walking into their headquarters and our main champion, she runs up to us and hugs myself and my, and my sales engineer. You know, we'd had obviously many (laughs) sessions with them, but even then from right from that moment forward, it's like, okay, this is going to be a good time, right? This is going to, things are going to go well. They're excited for us to be here. And, you know, they had a room set aside for us. They were really excited for us to come in and and really be those business advisors as we're, you know, presenting offerings to them uh, can help with some other challenges, their pains that they're experiencing. Um, this particular example, this was, I think, the only customer that I've added on Facebook. You know, sometimes they'll add us on there. And usually I'm like, oh, I don't know, I'll keep, you know, personal life and business separate. But, you know, we added them because they were so great to work with and, and they really viewed us as partners. People really put their guard down when you can get them on site. You're learning a lot more there. I love that experience and um, what it was able to do for you. So typically after t- what 10 plus discoveries, like you were talking about, three-day on-site demos, you hope it goes well. But as we know, nothing in sales has ever happens exactly how you think it will, uh, which is what makes it interesting, which is what makes it as much an art as it is a science. What barriers or what objections maybe came up throughout that process uh, that you had to overcome? Yeah. So Taylor, you know, you mentioned talking about closed lost and closed one opportunities. Um, this is both of those. Uh, so we ran into a big roadblock. <laughs> During that on-site time, this was in March of 2020, so right before kind of the COVID shutdown, which we thought would hinder us, but actually helped because of their business of streaming and their business of, you know, media entertainment, movies, everyone was home watching movies and streaming. So that wasn't the roadblock, but the roadblock was that they got a new CTO. And a few months later, as literally within a week and a half that they were going to sign, the new CTO bought a semi-competitor, went behind everyone's backs, ours, as well as their own internal employees and bought a semi-competitor. And it was a very emotional day when they let us know that they could not move forward with us after, you know, spending a year and a half in that evaluation phase and spending so much time together. They were distraught. We were distraught. And it uh, was definitely a mess. Yeah, I would say (laughs) that doesn't feel great. There's a new CTO. So how was there any background given Uh, to this individual that this much work has been put in or what was the communication like? You know, they shared with us that they had begged and and pleaded and shared how much work they'd put into this to the point that, you know, my champion had to take two days off of work. She cried on the call 
her VP was emotional as well on the call. And when they let us know that their CTO had purchased something entirely different and it was already said and done, he had already made the purchase um, behind their backs. And so it, again, it was, I mean, I'll just say it. This was the only deal where <laughs> in eight years I've been here that uh, I actually cried as well. Like, <laughs> not on the call. I held back my tears during the call, but shortly there, yeah. it was that devastating to all of us because we were all completely blindsided. And looking back, obviously, you know, when they got a new CTO, that should have been an area where we dug deeper. I think I probably was like, oh, has does he know, you know, we're talking and, you know, is that okay? And they probably said yes, um, but really should have spent more time there. So looking back, that's an area, you know, of improvement for sure. Hindsight is, is always so hard because as you mentioned, looking back, right? Okay. New CTO, what does that mean? And you could take that a lot of different directions, probably spend some individual time with them, try to understand them better, try to get their mindset, right? And see like, you're you're stepping into this organization. What are you going to do? In this case, you know, they bought a semi-competitor and we were, this podcast was meant for closed one and closed loss deals. Ultimately, we know that this deal kind of comes back around. So what happens from here? You know, we closed it out. You know, my VP had gotten on trying to save it. Um, our EVP had gotten on as well. And there was really nothing that we could do. We closed it out. Um, we knew that they would likely come back to us mostly because they had purchased a semi-competitor. It wasn't, you know, having known their challenges, knowing their issues, when we heard who they had purchased, it was, it didn't make sense to us. And we were like, that's not going to solve what they're trying to solve. That's com- something completely different. And so, you know, fast forward 10 months later, we're now in 2021. Again, this started in 2019. The SVP of technology called me while while we were out of the country. We were on vacation, actually, my wife and I. And uh, he called and essentially said, we're ready to move forward now. And their uh, CTO had been let go. Uh, so they didn't have that roadblock internally. And they were able to move forward within a month. So you're, now you're fast. It's like, okay, you know, two years worth of conversations and then de- uh, 10 months of dead quiet. And then when they reach back out, it's like all the value that you've built over two years, it's not like it just like dissipated. Mm-hmm. It wasn't gone, right? All that velocity, they still remembered uh, the onsite. They still remembered the value of the tool, the product. So I guess, you know, the, the final question I would ask is you get that phone call. Did you cry again? Because now you've won and you're on vacation. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I didn't. I'm not that emotional. Maybe they are. But uh, no, it was it was super exciting. And I think to to your point, Junior, you know, all the work that we had done, the value that we had provided was really kind of banked there. It was stored there, right? And so it really helped streamline four or five week close, right? Within a month's period. And they were running against timelines because they had a system that was depreciating. And so that worked to our advantage that they basically said, hey, you know, we're ready to move forward now. We don't have these roadblocks and we need to get this done ASAP. We were excited about that as well. You're just controlling what you can control, right? Like doing your absolute best in all your respective areas and know that, you know, once you've done your best, you've played your cards. And in this case, you know, it was a semi-competitor and a poor decision from someone that came around and bit them in the butt, but you controlled what you could and you got the closed one, which is what we're looking for today. Perfect. Well, that sounds like a roundabout way to get a neat bow tied on it. A lot of objections, a lot of barriers, but ultimately the the outcome that helped everybody involved uh, get to a better place, right? Solve whatever problems that are there. 
at the same time, you know, you're winning one of the, the bigger deals probably you've ever won. Right. So that being said, I'd love, we always love to leave at least three tips uh, for every AE, every full cycle seller listening today that maybe you experienced in this deal or any other deal that can help them move some of those uh, deals to close one. That's the first thing I'd say is I hope everyone understands that there's there's no cure-all or magic ticket to quota, right? There's no one thing that's going to jump the needle. It, it really comes down to consistency and discipline over time. But I felt that what helped us in, in this deal specifically was providing real value to them throughout the entire sales cycle through discovery, through the demo period, the working sessions, post, all of that as well. Just really understanding their needs, making it about them, not an interrogation and really understanding that they have challenges and helping them uncover those challenges and solutions to those challenges. I think the other part of that is really being able to work hard for them and partner with them. So again, taking that consultative approach and becoming the, you know their business advisors, I think was key. And the third thing I would say is really using your ecosystem and resources. There were so many hands that touched this deal. Uh, there has to be, you know, when we're talking about a larger enterprise deal and whether that's, you know, our internal RFP team answering questions, building out questions, our finance team, you know, putting together multiple, multiple quotes, our CX team um, engaging with them before the deals even closed as they're about to begin services and even a trial, which we didn't get into those details, but that was all part of it. So there were so many hands that touch this deal. And I, and I just, I guess would say whether you're at a small company, a large company, everyone has different resources. Don't hesitate to take advantage and use those resources, really use your ecosystem. Nolan, it was really great to have you on the podcast today. If you tuned in, you know, those listeners out there, go connect with Nolan on LinkedIn. We'll drop some links to the shows. A lot was said today. One of my favorite things, I didn't talk about this, but Nolan used the word contagious, right? He said the product was so contagious. This grew from 50 users to over 400 users. Just get out there, be contagious, be contagious as hell. Grow your accounts and uh, start providing some real value. Nolan, again, great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And just like that, another episode of How Ideal is in the books. This one was quite a ride. If you enjoy the content that we're putting out and the conversations we're having, please let us know in the comments, rate us if you want, maybe a couple stars, uh, and please subscribe if you want to hear more from us. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time.